Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Sai Student Podcast. I'm Shaheer Liaq. Today we are going to talk about video games, subject that is very close to my heart. Video games are amazing not only because they provide us an amazing avenue for entertainment but also because they are technological marvels. Each video game that you play may have a 20-hour storyline or a 60-hour storyline but hundreds and sometimes even thousands of hours and unbelievable amounts of data goes into making each video game a wholesome experience. And that is what we want to talk about today. How this industry, which now is bigger than the movies and music industry combined, has come so far, has become so successful, and has come to the frontier of defining technology. And so we are going to try and see how video games have evolved over the past 50 to 60 years since they became a mainstream phenomena. We will divide video games into various categories and then we'll analyze and see how video games have progressed towards. Let's get started. One very noticeable difference between video games of the old days and today is graphical fidelity. It is graphics. Today, if you play video games like Red Dead Redemption 2 or Grand Theft Auto V or Skyrim, you will notice that the, the amount of detail that these video games pack and the ability of these games to immerse oneself into the worlds that they have created, the effects that they have, and the extent to which the developers of the game have gone to give uh, an experience that imitates reality closest is very impressive. It completely immerses you in the video game that you are playing. And video games have very humble beginnings. If you talk about one of the earliest video games that became very popular, it was Pong. And basically, you had a black screen and you had one small pixel, one dot, and then there were two sort of paddles on each side and each player controlled one paddle. And basically your job was to toss the pixel back to the other person and then they tried to toss it back to you and whoever missed the ball, whoever missed that single pixel moving across the screen, would lose. Similarly, some very popular games back then, such as Space Invaders, the modern video gamer will not even understand how to play that game because it is not very intuitive. If you play video games today, you will see that the intuition is over there. They require the minimum amount of effort. There might be some video games, for example, Forza Motorsport, that try and imitate real life. So, for example, Forza Motorsport really tries very hard to give one an authentic driving experience. Some F1 drivers, they actually practice on Forza Motorsport to prepare for sporting events, for F1 races. But beyond that, most video games are very intuitive and purposefully easy for one to understand. So the difficulty curve is rewarding, it is steep, but the understanding curve is very easy. You understand the controls simply, but mastering the controls is where the challenge lies. And while we had compared the immense thousands of gigabytes of Red Dead Redemption 2 versus the single, almost austere screen of Pong, it is very important to also understand that basic graphics aren't a bad thing. Retro gaming is a whole category in itself. 
And so if there is a video game that has basic graphics, that does not essentially mean that the video game is inferior to an experience where there's greater graphical fidelity. Basically what it simply means was that it was released earlier and there were simply technological limitations that did not allow the video game to look any better than it does. However, people still play retro or classic media games. For example, there are whole loyal communities developed around the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, which was released in the 80s. And, and people around the Super Nintendo Entertainment System are still producing fan-made video games online. They distribute them for free usually, or maybe sometimes they'll charge a dollar or two, just so fans can experience what it was like playing video games back in the day. Furthermore, back in the day, things were also left to your imagination. So when you were playing a video game, the graphics were basic, but it was up to you to fill in the gaps with your own imagination and with your own understanding of what could possibly be happening. Basically on the screen, on the maybe five inch screen or of your Game Boy, you will see a small mark move from one character to the other, indicating that a spell has been cast. But in your mind, you will be doing the rest. You will see the wizard pull their hands up and then chant some incantation and then push their hands forward and then the spell move towards the enemy and engulf them in an enveloping flame of fire. And that is harm of older video games. So old software is also very cheap compared to newer software. So you can get old hardware and older video games for cheaper. So today, maybe if you can't afford the PlayStation 5 and all its various components and its $70 video games, you can go ahead and get a PlayStation 3, which can provide a decent and much more affordable experience. So the reason I am elaborating so much on graphical fidelity is to dispense with the myths that bad graphics are or more like basic graphics. No one wants bad graphics, but basic graphics, 8 bits or 32 bits is not inherently a bad thing. The second very important difference between video games of yonder and the modern video games of today and how they have developed is intelligence. The use of artificial intelligence in video games has completely transformed the experience. For example, boss fights. You will see bosses and characters that respond to your moves. If you try to hit them, they will dodge. If you try to run away, they will chase you. Right? If you try to pull a maneuver with them, they will try to counter your maneuver. And so in that sense, they are very complex pieces of code. And in video games like Red Dead Redemption 2, there are lots of NPCs. So, so basically, these are the other characters in video games whose job it is simply to facilitate your progress, right? They are um, means of moving the story forward. But these are very intricate beings in themselves because they have their own complex routines. In Red Dead Redemption 2, you will see that um, most of the people, most of the NPCs in the game have their own complete routines. They get up in the morning and then they do their daily chores or routine. They milk the cow, they put the hay in the barn, and then at night they go to bed and they do that again. And in that way, and if you, for example, remove one character from the game, like maybe you kidnap them since you are bit of an outlaw so you might do that then you will see the other characters mourning them and other characters feeling their absence so in that way it is very and 
With regards to AI and intelligence, one very important aspect that has also become very evident in recent years is that modern video games are easier. Older video games were insanely hard. If you look at the very successful Zelda franchise, that is part of the Nintendo family of video games, then older Zelda games were very difficult. For example, Zelda, A Link to the Past, which was released in 1991, was a much tougher game than Zelda Breath of the Wild in released in 2017. And there is recognition in the video gaming community that it needs to be a more accessible experience and that there, there needs to be a certain level of hand-holding in order to maintain the interest of people. And with regards to that, what video games also do is that now you can customize difficulty level. This was something that wasn't too popular back in the day, but now you can customize the level of difficulty that you face and the intelligence and the toughness of the enemies that you combat. That's also very different and it talks a lot about the culture of modern day video games where the focus is on retaining more audiences, providing a more enjoyable experience compared to video games in the past where the focus was on achievement and level progression and grinding. So that's a bit about artificial intelligence in video games. Character customization is also very important. And I say that because until the late 1990s, there was no concept of female video game characters. By default, the major video game characters were, they were men. For example, the very successful Pokemon franchise released in the early 90s. You had by default a male character to play with and it was similar for Zelda in which the main character, Link, was male. Mario was male. Luigi was male. And so the trope for female characters, mostly in early video games, was that of the damsel in distress. So for example, in Zelda, you had Link who was the hero and Princess Zelda who had been kidnapped by Ganon. And now Link had to rescue her. And in Mario, you had Princess Peach who had been kidnapped by Bowser and you had to rescue her. So in that regard, there was very little room for a gender expression. And we see that changing in video games. And it started in the late 90s. And, and then you had the choice to choose between male characters and female characters. And one notable exception in all of this is the Metroid franchise. Because in the Metroid franchise, the, the main character was Samus. And she was always female, and which is one of the earliest instances of female representation in video games. And beyond male and female, in the early 2000s, you could customize things like clothes and hair. In games like GTA San Andreas, if your character ate too much, you could see he would get fat. If he ate too little, you could see he got very thin. You could customize facial hair. So these were like superficial customizations that you could implement on your character. But now things have become very tailored and very customizable. In games like Skyrim and Cyberpunk 2077, you can characterize the bone structure, the skin color. You can characterize height, the hairstyle. Even race can be configured in Skyrim, where you can choose from between the various races that inhabit that world. And along with the character themselves, you can also customize other companions on your journey. For example, you can one very difficult piece of coding is to code in a horse in a video game because a horse's animation is very tough to get right. And also because if you are journeying and maybe the horse is not with you, then how do you get it back to your character? What sort of mechanism exists for that? How does it react in times of stress, for example, when you're engaging in battle? 
so some some modern video games have incorporated traveling companions very well, such as Zelda and Red Dead Redemption. And uh, this is a relatively new phenomenon. In the 90s, you maybe had Pikachu in Pokemon Yellow following you around. And that's all it did was that it was a sprite that chased your character throughout your journey. Along with character customization and companion customization, another very important element is weapons customization. And the best possible example for this is Fortnite. In Fortnite, it started with Zelda in which you had one sword that you played with throughout the entire video game. Or in Mario, where for some time you could get maybe a hammer that you could use against your enemies. And now you have Fortnite in which you can get anything from Harley Quinn's hammer to a Star Wars lightsaber, provided that you're willing to pay a price for them. Because microtransactions are also a very recent phenomena in video games that most people really do not like. So the point being that character customization has now become a central facet of video gaming and the worth of a video game is judged by how well you can express yourself as a character in these seconds. I think another very important element of modern video games, which is very relevant to the modern day, is the rise of moral ambiguity. Basically, back in video games, the concepts of good and bad were very simple. For example, if we take Zelda as an example again, or if we take Metroid as an example, you were the good guy and you were fighting the bad guy. It was as simple as that. But now you will see that video games have become much more morally ambiguous. And one franchise that has stretched the limits of more ambiguity in video games is the is Activision's Call of Duty. Because in that franchise now, you have to make choices. For example, in one video game of, from the Call of Duty franchise, you have to make a choice between murdering innocent Indians who are speaking Arabic or risking being shot by one of them who might be concealing a weapon. So you need to make a choice over there, whether you want to lose or whether you want to make the unsavory decision of shooting at a civilian. And other video games have quoted much more controversy than Call of Duty. One video game is Nine Days in Fujera, which was put on hold for many years for the reason that many people claimed and still very forcefully claim that video game glorifies American actions in Iraq, in which uh, many civilians were, were murdered. And this video game was put on hold for many years, but now it's going ahead with production and it will be out very soon. And so this asked us to ask some larger questions. For example, do video games promote violence? And it might be very easy to say yes. But from one book I have read recently called Masters of Doom, which details the development of one of the most successful video game franchises in history called Doom, it was very against the idea. The book did not at all support the idea that video games promote violence. In fact, they try to create ambiguity on the matter and say that there is no proven correlation between video games and violence. And recently, a massive government grant has been approved in the US to further research whether video games cause violence. There were times when video games were censored heavily and there were debates in Congress about how to limit exposure of video games. And that's why you have now for example, 10 plus rated video games or 13 plus or 15 plus rated video games, which state the age that they feel it is appropriate for players to play those games. But because now they have become so massive and become internationalized, it has become very difficult to control and rein in the video game, video gaming industry. And since, as I've said earlier, some very vocal proponents also claim that video games do not in fact promote violence. 
there is still a lot to be said on this matter. Another very important aspect of video games that has evolved magnificently is music. Earlier, video games were very creative. They had very limited storage. So for example, on the Game Boy, a video game had maybe 0.5 MBs of storage space. The entire Pokemon Yellow video game was 0.5 megabytes and provided a 20-hour immersive experience. But that meant it, there were serious limitations to how you could express yourself musically and graphically. And so because of that, most music back in video games, most music in video games back in the day was a clever series of beeps and bops. It was a clever series of basic mechanical noise put in an order in order to make it sound more in tune. And that has changed completely because video games today have amazing soundtracks. So in Fallout 76, which is not a very successful video game by any stretch of the word, the song Country Roads, which was originally sung by John Denver, is retitioned so beautifully that it really makes you connect with the video game. It is a complete song, it has a complete audio track, and it has an, a vocal artist playing the playing music and singing the lyrics. So it's a completely immersive experience. In GTA 5, you have Rihanna's only girl in the world, which is randomly playing on a radio station that you can tune into in, in a car if you choose to sit in one. And that is another example of how apparently music has now been incorporated into video games. Tales of the Borderlands, another fun video game and a very interesting song in that video game is Back to the Time. Again, we see the similar trend. It's a full-length song. It has been purposefully made for this part of the video game. It reflects the emotions of the characters in the game at that point in time. It, is a, it, is, it has perfect lyrics and it has a perfect and fully vocalized music behind it. Very interesting also, console hardware. Now you have PlayStation 5 controllers that have haptic feedback and where the controllers are made in a way that they're supposed to adjust to your hands and, and adjust to how to your playing style and to make it easier for you to play actively. And they have their own sound system. The controllers have their own sound system that sort of complements the sound of the video games. And there has been a touch panel on PlayStation controllers since the PlayStation 4 which you can also use for certain functions. So these are very complex machines now and very intricate and they're wireless, which breaks with the long-standing tradition of wired video game controllers that you had to sit close to in order to play your video game. So that is also very, that's a huge development in the video game. Right? And another very interesting development in the video gaming space is the rise of hybrid consoles. So you basically had two sorts of consoles. One one was the home console, such as the PlayStation 2, and the other was the handheld console, like the Nintendo DS or the 3DS or the Switch, or Nintendo DS or the 3DS or the Game Boy. But now you have the concept of a hybrid um, console, like the Switch, which you can use both as a home console and as a handheld. And that just blurs the line between play on the go and more hardcore and more systematic gaming. So it's very interesting the sort of innovation that video games are going through and the sort of new and innovative ways that they're coming with to change the way we consume entertainment and I think it's really interesting. And so now, where do we stand after all these changes and after all this progress 
where are video games today? We are now experiencing the rise of remakes, where all video games with basic graphics are being remade because they were good and maybe people can't play them because the consoles have become redundant, the technology has become redundant, but they have the storyline, they have the idea, and all they need to do is create new graphics to go with those ideas. And so we see remakes of franchises like Zelda and Pokemon and Metroid and, and Mario because this is introducing old time-tested ideas to new audiences. And it is a way to immortalize these amazing video games of the past and to expose a whole new audience of people to these amazing experiences. And that is where we are today. The future of video gaming would be a very interesting conversation to have as well. We are now ex exploring the idea of a metaverse and virtual reality video gaming, where maybe you can wear your console and then you can play cricket virtually or you can play tennis virtually. And so that is a new frontier, the idea of digital worlds in which people and their avatars interact digitally with other people and their avatars in the cyberspace. And so it's very exciting in the video gaming realm and things only look up. There are some concerns in the video gaming industry such as crunch, which is when developers have to work extra hard to roll out video games on time. There are concerns about pricing. Video games have become more expensive than they used to be to the average consumer. There are concerns about, like I said, moral ambiguity. Do video games promote violence? But in spite of all of this, video games keep going from strength to strength. They provide a very rich and a very immersive experience and fundamentally provide a great source of entertainment. And my take over here is that video games will only go up. If you're interested in reading more about video games and the sort of research I have done, I have put some links up with the episode in our description. Feel free to check them out. And uh, I have a small announcement. There is a chance, guys, that I may not be around with the podcast, maybe for some time, maybe for a longer time. But hang in there. And I wish you guys all the best. And I hope that I'll see you guys around. And I hope that you guys keep listening to the Science Journal podcast. And that is all from me for now. Bye-bye. This episode of the Science Journal podcast was produced by Professor Andrew Mosin and his research assistant, Shahid Liaquit. It was edited by Shahid Liaquit, Asman Akib, and Russell Ajedu. Artwork by Iman Bu. Our music is from Epidemic Sounds. Don't forget to check out our Instagram, which is sciencejournal.ua. Bye-bye.